The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now all the Pharisees were gathered together. Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This is the gospel of the Lord. Better to be feared or loved. You've probably heard that question before. Probably haven't thought too much about it. But at least you've heard the question. If you had to pick between the two, is it better for somebody to be feared or loved? The source of that question comes from The Prince, a piece written by a fellow named Machiavelli back about 500 or so years ago. And that book, The Prince, is about political maneuvering for kings and rulers. And he was speaking about that, but when he came down to the choice, he asked the question, which one, if you only got one, as a ruler of people, if you are a king, a monarch, a magistrate, which is better to have? The fear of the people or the love of the people? The actual quote goes like this. Is it better to be loved rather than feared or feared rather than loved? It might perhaps be answered that we should wish to be both. But since love and fear can hardly exist together, if we must choose between them, it is far safer to be feared than loved. Love, of course, is a positive emotion, isn't it? The bonds of affection and happy loyalty between people. But we all know that politics is not something where you really care about having positive emotions, is it? At the end of the day, the feared tyrant holds much more sway and turmoil than a beloved patriarch does. Well, concerning earthly kings and so forth, Machiavelli might be right, it's better to be feared than loved. It isn't quite so when it comes to God and God's kingdom. Sixteen years after his work, The Prince, was published, another book was published. A book written by someone else and a book intended for a much different audience than Machiavelli's audience. I'm talking about Luther's small catechism. It is the basic outline of the Christian faith, this catechism we know well. Who is God? Who are we? And what's our relationship with God? All of that is answered in the six chief parts of the catechism, and it begins naturally, as Luther intended, with the law, the Ten Commandments. And in those Ten Commandments, what does God establish first? His own authority. God is the Lord and nobody else beside him. Or, more familiar to us, you shall have no other gods beside me. It's easy enough to understand the first commandment on its face. 
You don't really have to think too hard about it. But Luther, of course, wanted to be a good teacher, and he wanted to eliminate the room and the possibility for error, so he asks the question after that, and all the rest of the parts of the catechism, what does this mean? What does it mean to have no other gods? Well, his answer for that one is simple, just about as long as the commandment itself. It means we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. To have God as our God means we fear him more than anything else in this world. To have God as our God means that we love him more than anything else in this world. And to have God as our God means that we trust him more than anything else in this world. Not just one of those things, but all three simultaneously at the same time. Now, of course... I'm a Lutheran pastor talking to a room full of Lutherans, so here's your Lutheran qualifier. None of us are able to perfectly fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And if we were, the gospel would be unnecessary. Good Friday superfluous, and Jesus Christ a completely pointless person. But that's beside the point. The frame for our life and relationship to God namely his commandments, how he would have us live, are these words. Specifically, the fear and love part, right? Do you remember the explanation to the rest of the Ten Commandments, the other nine? They all begin with the words, after what does this mean, we should fear and love God so that, and then gives an explanation specific to that commandment. We should fear and love God so that we don't hurt or harm our neighbor in his body. We should fear and love God so that we don't take things that don't belong to us. We should fear and love God so that we live chaste and decent lives in all that we say and do. All of this is to say that it's not an either-or thing. With God, it's not either-or, fear or love, but it's both-and at the same time. We both fear him and we love him. Now, I don't want to go so far or be so bold as to say that Machiavelli didn't understand this, that it was completely impossible. It was just his hypothetical saying, if you had to pick one, if you had to only pick one. But we shouldn't take away from him that it is only possible to pick one in our lives as Christians. Because the fact of the matter is, it's not. The obvious example that comes to mind for me is that of a judge or even probably more applicable to each of us day-to-day, a policeman, right? We fear policemen insofar as they have authority, authority to write us a citation, authority, if we do something really bad, to arrest us and put us in jail for breaking the law. But at the same time, we also love policemen. That thin blue line that keeps order and protection in society. We, who do we call when there's danger, right? Like real danger. You pick up that phone. To say nothing about the times that you've hit the brakes when you see, you know, a Crown Victoria on I-57, right? Fearing the policeman there. It doesn't slow you down or stop you if at 2 a.m. you hear somebody creeping outside your house or something. You pick up the phone. You call the policeman. You love him. Both feelings 
are possible at the same time. And both are necessary for us to have the benefit of well, policemen and the order and law that they keep in society. And both feelings are, of course, necessary in our relationship with Almighty God. Now, God's people have always, from the very beginning to now and to the end, been a people of faith. And to put it Lutheranly, faith has always justified us. You had the promise of redemption given in Eden, given in Eden. You had the promise given more details, and it was given to Abraham and the rest of the patriarchs. And now we live in a time in which the gospel, that gospel promise given so early on, has bloomed, blossomed into the beautiful flower that is Jesus Christ and his blood-bought redemption for us. And we, like the patriarchs, like Adam and Eve themselves, have faith that God's promise is true. And along with that faith, God's people have now, as well as then, as well as to the end of the age, been a fruit-bearing people. For the people in the Old Testament, God's people Israel, to believe in God meant to be faithful to him, to take their sons and on the eighth day circumcise them, to offer the sacrifices that God prescribed at the tabernacle and the temple, and to abstain, not just from certain meats, but also from idolatry, worship of other gods. And whenever Israel and Judah strayed from this, when they, so to speak, no longer, in a given time and place, feared, loved, and trusted in God, what did the Lord do? But he punished them. He sent plagues. He sent war. He sent affliction on them. And we know from the scriptures that the father chastens the son that he loves. And the Lord certainly chastened Israel to punish them for their wrongdoing, but also this to bring them back to their senses, to straighten them out so that they would return to him, believe in him, and walk rightly before him. And remembering his punishment that would come and his promised mercy, and even reward afterward, Israel was continually renewed in repentance, in forgiveness, in judgment, in grace, in fear, and in love. Now, we do not, and we cannot, isolate one of these feelings, fear and love, from the other, or even place one above or below the other. To trust in God cannot be true if we have no fear and love of him. And to love God is just actually empty sentimentality if we don't also fear his wrath against us and our sins. And to fear him alone, if we just focus on that one, makes it completely impossible for us to love and trust in God as a gracious God. All are part of the whole thing. All are necessary. And all are included in equal ways in this thing that we call Christianity. God is our Lord who can and does punish evil. We ought to fear him as a child fears displeasing his father. God is our Lord who is quick to love and forgive us and those who return to him with contrite hearts after they come to the realization 
I am a poor sinner. Therefore, we ought to love him as a child loves his merciful and forgiving father. This is the God in whom we trust. The God of both, at the same time, law and gospel. The God who chastens and the God who forgives. When we do wrong, he is right to allow punishment to befall us so that we can repent and return to him. Therefore, we fear him. When we do right, he is generous and faithful to bless and keep us, showing love to thousands of generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Therefore, we do love him. In our faith, in our trust in him and his promises, we both fear and love God and live our lives according. Amen.